4: Good evening, folks, and thanks for coming back and joining me this week on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and this week I've got four incredible guests who have great stories and great tips that I can't wait for them to share with us. First up is going to be our good friend and my all-time favorite author, Keith Hirschland. Keith has written six fantastic books, including one with that dubious C.T. Mascaro guy who is the head of a motorcycle gang. You can read all about him in Song Girl, A Tale in Two Verses. His latest book, Murphy, Murphy, and the Case of the Commission on Clisses, just came out. It's another great read that you're really going to enjoy. Go get your copy out on Amazon. Mine arrived a couple of days ago. Can't wait to get involved in that book. It is a page turner. The great thing about Keith's books is you start reading them, and before you know it, you're 250 pages in. It's that much fun to read. All of his books are amazing. Keith is also the original TV producer from When the Golf Channel. Got started back in 1995. He's now producing the broadcast for Live Golf. Can't wait to catch up with Keith. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from another great friend and a major champion, Hal Sutton. Hal has a new course design that is set to open up in the spring just outside of Houston. It's called the Darmore Club. We'll hear all about that. Plus, I'll get Hal's thoughts on the Ryder Cup and golf NIL deals. Are NIL deals headed our way? On the PGA Tour, we'll see what Hal thinks. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following Hal, a third great friend and the host of Grilling at the Green, the wonderful podcast that Jeff Tracy does. So much fun. Jeff is a lot of fun when you're a part of his show or you're tuning in and listening. He makes that show so much fun because of his personality and style. Jeff is also a grill master, one of the great barbecue chefs that we have on the planet. So we'll get some tips for how to be king of the grill when Jeff joins me a little bit later on in the hour. And then we're going to round things out with a visit from Dr. Bob Winters. He earned his doctorate degree in sports psychology. So we'll delve into our minds and how we get our minds right out on the golf course, plus put a bad shot behind us so that one bad shot doesn't turn into several bad shots, plus how to make more putts. Really excited to have Dr. Bob as part of the show. He'll join me about an hour from now. So folks, it's going to be a really fun show tonight. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me again this week. You know, folks, with the show now being available on triplive.com and with all my yinzer friends up there in the Pittsburgh area, you get to start to meet some wonderful individuals in and around the city. And I did just that with Caroline Cease and the folks at Enchanted Destinations. If you're ready to start planning your dream vacation, be sure to check out Carolyn and the folks there at Enchanted Destinations. If you're planning to go to Disney World or Universal Studios, take a cruise or vacation at an all-inclusive resort, go to EnchantedDestinations.net and Carolyn and her folks are going to help you out and plan the perfect getaway. They're great people doing great things and they are a wonderful help for anybody that's looking to book the perfect vacation. And thinking of the perfect golf getaway and Buddy's Trip location, remember our folks over at the Macklemore, which is a wonderful resort located just south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, high atop Lookout Mountain. It is a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the U.S. by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, The Keep, is under construction and will open summer of 2024. The Keep is a Bill Bergen-Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled up with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton will open spring of 2024. Both have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay dine and play golf above the clouds at Maclamore. Go online to maclamore.com to book your stay and play package. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lamkin grips. Every shot as you know has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus black grips, composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology. Creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hands shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more far To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Now back with me is my all-time favorite author and one of the great people you get to meet in this game, and that's Keith Hirschland. Keith has been a wonderful friend for several years and a great supporter of this show, which I cannot be more thankful for. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV producer. He has produced shows for ESPN, ESPN2, the Golf Channel, and now Live Golf. Keith was among the original people that started the Golf Channel back in 1995. He has written six wonderful books. My all-time favorite, which is Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In, Tales of the Tube from a Broadcast Brat. I'm also partial to Song Girl, a mystery in two verses, and that C.T. Mascaro character. Keith just released his sixth book, which is titled Murphy, Murphy, in the Case of the Commission on Clichés. He's also written great books titled Big Flies, The Flower Girl Murder." And the first installment in the Murphy Murphy series, The Case of Serious Crisis, which was named Book of the Year by Book Talk Radio Club. And I'm honored that I get to have Keith back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Keith, how are you, my friend?
2: Chris, I'm great. And it's great to be with you. And I appreciate all that introduction. And just <laughs> want to start out by saying congratulations to you and all your success. Uh, the accolades that you've gotten uh, are well-deserved because... As I've mentioned to anybody who will listen, you are the best in the business at this. So I'm really happy to be back and, and have a little chat with you.
0: Well, I
4: appreciate all that very much. Keith. So I just received my copy of Murphy Murphy in the case of the Commission <laughs> on Clichés. Very excited to read it. For those that are just out there ordering the book, haven't quite ordered it yet or are waiting for it to arrive in the mail. Can you give us a sort of a high level summary of what's going to befall Murphy this time around?
2: Well. I I'd, I'd love to. You know, I mean I I should start with the whole premise of the series. I I always try and put a little hook on my my hobby of writing in each book and when I thought of Murphy Murphy, I I wanted to figure out how I could in the original book um get as many redundant phrases into a novel and in this one um it's all about the clichés. So I thought how can I how many clichés uh can I Include in a mystery, um, without driving one the the reader crazy and two, the writer crazy. Um, <laughs> and so th- this is all based on a little mystery around uh, this thing called the Commission on Cliches, which I invented out of whole cloth um, that stemmed from a government. It's a government agency that stemmed from, you know, uh, all the bureaucracy in washington, d c. And has been going strong for several decades but uh there's a little little mystery involved around uh, that commission and then uh, a murder takes place so murphy has to uh has to help on on two fronts to solve the mystery of the commission on cliches but also try and solve them a, a murder so um it all you know it's i think it's a ton of fun and you know it includes a bunch of our friends. Uh, the, you guys have been so kind to me in letting me use your names for characters. but uh, C. T. is not in this one, but uh, Matthew Lawrence is, and Kip Henley is and and our friends uh, Brian Katrick and John McGinnis are back as as uh, police officers and private investigators and matthew and Matthew Lawrence, who you know we both love, and his twin brother Mitch are are in the book. So, uh, there are a lot of, uh, familiar names to the people that listen to your podcast all the time that will, uh, that I hope will bring a smile to folks' faces.
4: So I got to ask you a couple questions on, on the heels of that. First of yeah. all, this is, this is installment number two of Murphy. How many do you have a goal? I mean, is Murphy going to be a trilogy? Is you know how many, how many in the series are you thinking you're going to go?
2: Well, that was the original plan was a trilogy see I, I thought I would do uh, cliches, redundancies and the the third uh, installment of the trilogy would be Murphy would somehow be aligned with the pun police so to <laughs> see how many puns i could uh, I could get into a story but you know grammar is a beautiful thing, so you know there are a million different uh, uh parts of grammar and the English language. So, you never know. I may not stop at 3. There may be there may be more than 3, but the original plan was 3.
4: So, are you already beginning the third installment? <laughs> You're writing that one? Have you gone back to to Song Girl? Yeah. Where are you going from here?
2: That's you hit the nail on the head. I'm I I've, I've put Murphy Murphy on the shelf and I'm back to a uh, a third detective Mark Allen. Book who is the detective in Flower Girl Murder and Song Girl. So uh, that's the one I've started again. Number seven will be a, uh, a, a uh, sequel to Song Girl. And of course, uh, the character that we all love best, C.T. Mascaro, will certainly be a, be a part of, of this book coming up. I've just started, so usually it takes me about 10, 10 to 14 months to get it all done and finished and out to the publisher so um look for that in uh, in either late 2024 or early 2025
4: I look forward to it already you kidding me <laughs> oh. all right so let's switch gears a little bit sure um you're producing the broadcast for live golf and last time that you joined me here on the show you said to the audience look just tune in give it a try you, know, you guys were doing a lot of innovative things you were doing a lot of different things with the broadcast, a lot of challenges to, to broadcasting a golf tournament when just about every golf ball is in the air at the same time. How do you feel about how year two went?
2: I couldn't be more thrilled, honestly. Um, I thought we had a, had a great year. I thought the league had a, had a great year. Um, you know, the stories that, that came out of our 12, you know, the, I'm sorry, 14 events this year. And again, we've talked about it before, you know, with with everything that's happened in the world of golf over the last couple of years, um, because of or including Live, uh, the fact that, you know, we've we've put on twenty two events. <laughs> and, you know, basically we're the talk of the town, which, you know, is a, a uh testament to I think the uh the interest in the league and, and the things that we're doing on the broadcast, but I thought we had a great year. We, you know, the winners were some big names like Brooks and DJ and Cam Smith. And, you know, the breakout story of Taylor Gooch, who my gosh, as the, you know, according to the, um, the no longer relevant world golf rankings, the 200 best player in the world. Uh, he won three times on our league in our league. Uh, won almost $40 million this year um, playing golf. So uh, to think that, you know, that guy isn't considered one of the best players in the world is laughable. Um, But we also had some great, you know, kind of breakout stories. You know, Danny Lee came over and won a tournament. Charles Howell, who was, you know, one of the most consistent players in golf. uh, One of our, won one of our events. And, you know, Harold Varner III, who, you know, before he came over to live, everybody loved, um, you know, he also won on in our league. So, you know, and Bryson, I mean, Bryson went in a couple of times, the whole thing was just really fun and great. And, and we keep pushing the envelope we feel in terms of the broadcast. And I know that there are a lot of people who are traditional golf fans and traditional, uh, viewers who, you know, are used to, you know, having a lazy little afternoon and maybe taking a nap while the, while the golf coverage is on, um, we're, we're not going to let them do that. So, you know, we're, we're trying to reach a younger audience. we have a lot more, we show a lot more golf. We show more golf shots than anybody. Uh, our screen is full of graphics. Um, there's information on that screen, you know, for the complete five, five hours that we're, you know, that we're on the air or streaming. And, um, you know, we're just trying to, to bring new technology, every single tournament. And as we look to this off season, um, we'll put our, you know, we have some really creative folks, some of the most creative folks in the business on our side. And, you know, we'll be trying to figure out what to do next.
4: So the word next, is there (laughs) going to be a next? Some people are saying there's there's definitely going to be a season three. We hear the players talk about how they've, Spoken to people internally, and there's definitely going to be a season number three, and, and long after that, for that matter, uh, of Live Golf. And others are saying, you know, once once this partnership gets, uh, you know, all put together, we find out between the PIF, the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, once we get to the end of the year, that's going to be it. What's your opinion? How how long is Live Golf going to be with us?
2: Well, I, I am not privy to the conversations in corporate boardrooms. Uh, Thankfully. Uh, All I know is that uh, I started this job in March of 2022. Uh, About halfway through 2022, they asked me to sign on for 2023 and 2024. So as far as I know, I'm producing 14 uh, live golf tournaments next year. Um, You know, we have a, a kind of a framework to use that Overused term in golf these days of a schedule. Not exactly sure um, exactly which cities we may or may not be visiting, but there's 14 tournaments. So they've asked me to produce those and I plan on doing that. Nobody knows, you know, what the extent of any kind of uh, coming together might be. But as we, as you and I talk at this moment, I'm working for Live Golf next year and I'm producing 14 golf tournaments.
4: You talk about technology, and I think that's one of the great things that have come out of the broadcast that you are doing is the great technology. And you're right. Some people don't really understand the leaderboards and some of the other things that, that are going on on the screen, but you guys are doing an awful lot of new stuff that we haven't seen before. Is there a new technology that you're working on that uh, might be a part of the 2024 season that we can
2: look forward to? There's always new technology, Chris, with some of it. We just haven't found yet <laughs> we uh, you know, sure. We're talking with, again, like I said, uh, a few minutes ago, uh, I believe we have the most talented, uh, production team in the world. We have, um, some brilliant minds, uh, working behind the scenes in terms of, um, the way things look, the way things sound, um what technology we can and can't use we're um trying to apply more uh ball flight um impact club angle uh information to all of our graphics we're you know we th- just last week in Miami we believe for the first time we showed a uh some tee shots Using the the shot tracer from the a live drone shot now I know it's been used um, they've used the tracer from the blimp uh, because our brilliant director on live golf Steve Beime was at Fox when they did that. but as far as we know, nobody's ever used a shot tracer from a live drone, so we're also working with our drone partners uh, to get Quieter, faster drones out there that can maybe follow a golf shot, maybe follow a golf ball from the drone. That would be kind of cool. It's you know, it's kind of one of those things, Chris. That you know, as I know you can appreciate. We take all ideas, and you know, we've got a lot of people that um, have been in golf for years, a lot of people that haven't been in golf for years but have been in other sports. And a lot of people who haven't been in any sport at all. And they're all watching this product and looking at this product and saying, well, what if we do this or can we do this? Or um, what would happen if we did this? So um, we're always thinking. And now we've got, you know, a couple of months to uh, really put our heads together and put the, the engineers and the artists and the, and the uh, storytellers together and, and see what we can come up with.
4: Another one of the interesting things to me, Keith, that has come out of the Live Golf Tour and the events that you guys do is really the, the involvement of the players. I mean, I remember, what, what was it, early this spring, what have you, that they came, they went to the, the Powers to Be and said, hey, why can't we wear shorts? Oh, I don't know. Why can't you? Go ahead. Wear shorts. Which I'm a big proponent of. I think everyone should wear shorts. We all wear shorts. Everybody should be allowed to wear shorts when they play golf, even, even the professional guys. But it seems like you guys, like you just alluded to a moment ago, there's no sort of reins on you guys for what you can and can't do. If there's an idea, I don't know, let's try it. Let's see what happens. Is that something that that this venue, this that live and the fact that, you know, maybe there aren't a whole bunch of uh, outside influencers telling you, well, we want you to do this. No, you can't do that. It seems like a much freer league to do whatever you guys think might be cool. Is that fair?
2: I think it's fair. I think that, uh, you know, we we're, we're, I think we are aware of the criticisms, you know, and, and I think that the, the players, one of the things that has really struck me in being around this, this league for the last two years is, uh, the, the powers that be are, have really empowered the players. Um, to be a huge part of how this league operates, what happens, um, what's you know, what's what works, what doesn't work. They really value uh, the players' opinions, and um, I know there are, you know, I'm, I'm I shouldn't say I know, I don't know, but um, there are always discussions around what can we do, you know, to make things better, and that always involves getting the players' input. If it doesn't come. From the players to begin with, and that has happened in the past as well. So uh, it is a you know it's it's a collaborative effort um, with everybody involved. And again, you know, it sounds cliche, and I'll borrow that from Murphy Murphy. But you know, there aren't and there are no bad ideas. It's just whether or not it's an idea that can be implemented, can work, and can you know be something that can can last the test of time or or work over 14 events um in a, you know in a schedule so i would i would not be surprised if there are um meaningful changes in the way the league operates when we go on the air next year um there're definitely going to be changes in what the broadcast looks like so you know greg norman is famous for saying and he says it to us says it to a lot of people that you know this is still You know this is this is a startup you know we're we're just we're trying to figure out what works best um overall for the league and and on you know from the things that i'm involved in and the things that i can handle what works best and what can be done differently what can be new and exciting um in terms of of a broadcast product so you know all of those things um you know we don't have We don't have decades and decades and decades of institutionalized ideas that are so ingrained in the product that you can't get away from them, even though most of them might be bad (laughs) or outdated. (laughs) So um, we're not in that position, thankfully.
4: So I know you guys are essentially a startup. How similar is this effort? So the one that you made in 95, when you put the golf channel together, because the idea of broadcasting golf 24 hours a day was craziness back in the, the mid nineties, who would, who would watch golf 24 hours a day. And, and you guys were out there broadcasting tournaments that we weren't seeing on CBS and the, and the major networks. So you were a lot of, a lot of times doing innovative things with golf tournaments back then. And now you're doing this. Obviously, the technology is a thousand times better. But is this very similar to what you did in 95?
2: You know, I would answer that by saying there are a lot of similarities and there are a number of differences. The similarities are, you know, to what you alluded to, it's, you know, it's back at the early days of the Golf Channel, you know, the end of 94 when, you know, most of us got hired brought the network on the air into 95 96 97 you know it was really uh kind of the wild wild west and i've you know described it that way to you a couple of times i mean you know we were left to our own devices because the folks mike whalen and and bob greenway and joe gibbs and the folks that were back in orlando steering the ship you know had 20, 30 different plates in the air and they had hired, you know, I had worked golf at ESPN and so had our director and a number of the folks that we brought on and the number of the folks that Mike hired had live golf experience. So they were like, you guys know what you're doing. We don't have to worry about you. You know, you guys go produce golf tournaments, um, you know, cause we've got a million things to worry about back here in Orlando. So, um, we were, uh, you know kind of if we had a crazy idea like the jug's gun to measure ball speed you know we took the baseball jug's gun and put it behind the the tee and and it measured the ball speed pretty pretty well we you know we were coming up with ideas and how to you know how to present it and really got you know the folks in orlando were like great it's great it's great keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it um it's there are a lot more layers here at Live Golf. Um, a lot more, uh, you know. There are there are, um, you know. I have I have bosses. I had bosses at the golf channel in those early days, but they were really weren't uh, weren't concerned with what we were doing. And the bosses I have hit now here at Live are awesome, and you know they're solely focused on our broadcast product. They're solely focused on doing the hard work. Um, to give me all the tools that I can possibly want to make the best broadcast we have available. Um, we also have, unlike the Golf Channel in 1994, 5, 6, and 7, and even beyond, um, we have a bigger budget at LiveGolf, um, which is really nice. So, uh, you know, like I said, there are a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, we're trying new things every day and we have the green light to do that. But we also have a huge support system and a huge, you know, group of people that are, you know, solely focused on what we're doing from a broadcast side. That that makes my life, you know, it's not it's it's different, but um, it makes my life a lot easier. And and um, I couldn't be happier to to be part of this group of folks.
4: Some folks have scoffed at the idea when the live players left the PGA tour to, to join the the live side of the game. And a lot of them talked about, well, I'm here to try to help grow the game. <laughs> you guys are bringing the game to areas of the world that don't usually get to see professional golf, like some of the international venues that you guys have visited. Seems like a way to grow the game internationally. Is that wrong?
2: I, I don't see how that's wrong. I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent correct. And, I think growing the game has become kind of a catchphrase that you know some people, like you say, scoff at. That maybe for a lot of people doesn't have um, a lot of meaning, but I think for us it it means a lot, and it's one of the you know kind of one of the tenets of what this league is trying to do. And you mentioned it. I mean, we're taking this we're taking this game all over the world. There are there are places and countries that are starved for great golf and. You know, it showed when we went to Adelaide, you know, last year and or this year, earlier this year, and they, um, you know, it's not like Australia doesn't have great players and Australia doesn't have great golf courses, but they really haven't had a a top-tier level field play in an event in Australia for a while. And, I mean, tens of thousands of people came out to the grange golf club in adelaide and watched dustin johnson and bryson DeChambeau and brooks kepka and cam smith their hero and you know taylor gooch and you know just the great players that we have on our 48 man roster and it was just the most incredible wild scene that um that i you know i think i've ever been a part of and you know to your point of growing the game We've had so many people come up to us and say that, man, you know, I've been to a bunch of PGA Tour events and it's fine, but, you know, this was my first time coming to Live Golf and I couldn't believe how enjoyable it was and how there's so much to do. And you can see all the players on the golf course at the same time. And there are so many kids and there's so many, you know, uh, people of color and, and women and everybody's having a good time and everybody's enjoying it. And, you know, I know there's naysayers and I know there's haters and there will always will be, but, you know, we are uh, bringing this game to, um, to, to a different segment of the population and a different segment of the world that have been golf starved or not known about golf forever. So um, I think we should be, and we are, really proud of that.
4: So looking back over season number two, what are, what are some of your favorite moments that you've got to be a part of?
2: Um, that's a great question. Gosh. Uh, well, first of all, I, w- I will say every week is awesome because you know, the way that the way the industry is going now um, with these remote productions, there are a number of places and even the NBC did it at the Ryder cup, the producer and the director weren't at the venue. They were in a, a building here stateside while the action was going on over in Rome and that's one of the beauties knock on wood of live golf so far is that we're still a one big family out on site out on the golf course um, and I hope that doesn't change because I'm not sure I'd like to do it if it if it did but if I was to pick a couple of events that were my were my favorites, I already mentioned adelaide I mean uh that you know we had a we they had a part they built a party hole there were thousands of people were just camped there from the minute they opened the gates until an hour after the the tournament was over and you know screaming and yelling it was you know i mean sixteenth at F- at Phoenix at waste management is you know a thing onto its own, but you know this was this was um. Kind of comparable. It was really great, and we had a hole in one, and um, that was really exciting. And to watch Taylor Gooch really, you know, kind of come into his own there was fun. And then I would say um, being in the truck when Bryson DeChambeau shot fifty eight on Sunday in Greenbrier to win a golf tournament on a golf course, sure that has given up low scores, but was a PGA Tour venue for a lot of years, and um, you know, to see that, you know, kind of. That was really cool to be a part of that broadcast where he rolled in that putt on the 18th hole at Greenbrier to shoot a 58. So there were a lot, there's been a lot of great moments. And again, I would encourage everybody, if we're, if Live Golf is coming to a town near you, um, you're not going to be disappointed if you come and see the product live. It's because it's really, it's, it's really a different golf experience.
4: just a couple more before I let you go and got to switch gears again and um, got to get your thoughts on your 49ers. I know you're a big San Francisco Uh, 49ers fan. They've lost a couple in a row. They won without uh, Christian McCaffrey, both of them without Debo Samuels. They're healthy. They seem like a Super Bowl contender. What are your thoughts?
2: My thoughts are I think they're a great football team. I don't have any worries about them. About these, these two game, this two-game losing streak. Um, disappointed, absolutely. But like you say, Debo didn't play. You know, we missed a couple of field goals with a rookie kicker who, will, you know, he'll find his footing. I have total faith as a fan in Kyle Shanahan. And, you know, I just look back at last year at this time, we were three and four. And went on to play in the NFC Championship game. And probably, as a 49er fan's opinion, would have gone to the Super Bowl if Purdy hadn't gotten hurt on that first series so um i have no you know would i would i like to be you know seven and oh right now instead of five and two sure but you know the national football league is tough and there are you know even if you think a team isn't playing very well there are you know hundreds of talented athletes in that league every team is good every you know week is a is a battle and nobody's going to win them all. So, um, you know, we got the Bengals next week, which is going to be another tough game, but I think that by the time that we start, that they start playing football for real toward the end of the season, I think the 49ers will be right there.
4: You're also a uh, San Francisco Giants (laughs) fan. You've got a vacant manager position right now. And so what's your thoughts on the giants and do you think they're going to get in the Otani bidding?
2: You know, I hope so. You know, we've been, they've been, they're they're always rumored around these big signings, Chris. I don't know what what to do about that. You know, it's always, oh, the Giants are in play. The Giants are in play. The Giants are in play for Aaron Judd. The Giants are in play for, you know, this guy. And then then we never get any of them. It's like, what the heck? But um, (laughs) I think they will be. I think there's, they realize over the last couple of years that they have uh, underperformed. And I think I just read that they signed Bob Melvin.
4: Oh, is that right?
2: Yeah. I was like, "Wow!" okay. Minutes ago, you know, before we started talking. So I don't know if that's, that's confirmed or not, but it sounded pretty, pretty serious. So if that's the case, um, I'll be pretty happy about that. I have nothing against Gabe Kapler, but I love Bruce Bochy. I wish he'd never left. And he proved again this year that he's one of the best managers. To ever uh, come out of a dugout so um again chris you know you're a you're a fan you just have faith in your teams right and i know the giants so you know they've been there they took us to the top of the mountain three times in five years and um i have complete faith as a fan that we'll get back there again one day soon
4: before i let you go let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing get copies of your books and do that both on your website and then on social media as well.
2: Uh, thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. Um, the books are available at Amazon. Um, you can just type in uh, Keith Hirschland, author, in the space bar, or go to KeithHirschland.com, all one word, K-E-I-T-H-H-I-R-S-H-L-A-N-D.com. Um, then we've also, I'm on social media, some, sometimes more, sometimes more than I should be. According to my wife, but uh, <laughs> I'm uh, at KHH author there on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Keith Hirschland author on Facebook. And then I would just say again, like I've said to you a couple of times now, um, if you're a golf fan, give Live Golf a chance. Um, as we start next season, we'll be able to watch us on Live Golf Plus, which is no commercials, five straight hours of golf. and um, give it a try. You don't have to like it. And I'm way okay with it if you don't like it after you watch it. But don't tell me you don't like it if you haven't watched it. There you
1: go. Keith, I can't
4: thank you enough, my friend, for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of this show. It's always a privilege to get to spend some time with you. I can't thank you enough for being here. You're awesome.
2: Well, you are too, Chris. Thanks again. And and I know you've got a great lineup behind me and and guys that are more accomplished than I am. So it's going to be a great show and I can't afford, I mean, I can't wait to listen to, uh, to the rest of it. Thanks for everything you do. You know, I'm a huge fan. I appreciate that very much.
4: Take care, my friend. All the best to you and Sarah. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Will do. See you, Keith. That is the great Keith Hirschland, folks. Is there any doubt in your mind now why he is one of my favorite people on the planet? He's a fantastic author. Give him a follow on social media at khhauthor at keithhershland.com is the website. Go get his books out on Amazon. And again, they are so much fun to read. You're going to start reading it and you're going to be shocked when you look up at the clock and you find out, look at this, I am on page 250. I can't believe it. The time has flown by because these books are so much fun to read. Obviously, I love Song Girl as the C.T. Mascaro character is a part of that, and looking forward to hopefully that character continuing on for several more books. But think about the talent level of putting books together based on redundancies, cliches, and puns. And then in Song Girl, to put a book together about song lyrics that he uses throughout. So it's just an amazing thing that Keith does in his books and a more talented TV producer you will not find. There's a reason why Liv came after him, to come do their broadcast. Again, going back to the Golf Channel in 1994, 1995, he's the guy that did all of that. He is wonderfully talented in so many areas. And beyond that, he is just one of the wonderful people you get to meet in this life. He has been so supportive of me in this show. That has meant a huge amount to me, and it's meant a huge amount to the growth of the show to have someone like Keith Erschlund in your corner. Again, I can't wait to have Keith back on the show. Can't wait to get through this book. And uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up and hear more about what is going on on the live golf side here very, very soon. Coming up next is another one of the great people that I've had the privilege of meeting through this show and in our game, let alone being a PGA Tour legend and a guy who should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. And that's Hal Sutton. Before I get to Hal, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say
2: An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58.
4: There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arcos Caddy when you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited-time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its Green Golf Collection sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com, And use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Now back and next on the tee with me is a guy who has become a wonderful friend, and that is PGA Tour legend Hal Sutton. Hal is a great follow on Twitter at Hal Sutton Golf. He has a great podcast of his own. It's called Be the Right Club Today, which you can watch and subscribe to out on his YouTube channel. It's also available just about everywhere you get your podcast content. For those of you who haven't joined me before when Hal has been a part of the show, and may not remember the great playing career that Howell's had, let me give you a quick reminder of what should be a Hall of Fame resume. How was named the 1980 College Player of the Year. He won 14 times during his college career at Centenary in Louisiana. He was a two-time All-American and led Centenary to the NCAA tournament. He was a two-time Trans-American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. How won the 1980 U.S. Amateur Championship. He turned pro in 1981 got his first win on the PGA Tour at the 1982 Walt Disney World Classic. And that year, he was named the Tour's Rookie of the Year. In 1983, he was named the PGA Player of the Year after winning the Players' Championship and the PGA Championship. Fast forward to 1998, he won the Tour Championship here in Atlanta. He famously beat Tiger by a stroke at the 2000 Players' Championship. He captained the 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup team he backed up his 14 college victories with 14 more on the PGA Tour. He finished second 18 times. He had 135 top 10s and 239 top 25s. And like I say, he should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. And it's always a thrill to have him with me here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Hal, how are you, my friend? I'm
3: right. I don't know what happened there. Anyway, <laughs> did you say how your ankle is? Are you doing okay?
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm doing all right. And it's, you know it's annoyingly painful right now. I'm kind of six days post-surgery. So I go back next week for my post-op and, and hopefully, uh, get these stitches out and, and start rehab right now. It just is annoying with the stitches in there. So, but well, all in all, I'm good. I couldn't
3: tell it at all with your podcast and your voice. You sound great. So well, I appreciate that. Thank you yeah. very much.
4: So how you got a new course design. That's, uh, coming up on the finishing touches we get to see it potentially in the spring of 2024 give us an update how's it coming along
3: oh it's awesome uh you know i moved over here over a year and a half ago when i knew we were going to do this project and i've been there every day that we've been moving dirt so i put my everything into it everything that i believe about golf uh is in this course uh it's it's uh we use C.B. McDonald and Seth Rayner's templates where we could. There's 17 template holes out there. One hole's not a template hole. Uh, Of course, you know, when you use the templates, it's your version of the template based on the land that you've got. But uh, it's a piece of property that was mined for sand and gravel 130 years ago. It had a railroad through it. So we used the railroad. There's no water on the golf course. Uh, it's very Scottish feeling. Uh, we hired Nick Holligan to be the director of golf, who is Scottish, came from Renaissance and, uh, he's been in Lake Tahoe. So everything about this will remind you of Scottish golf. And, uh, you know, I never won the British open, but I sure enjoyed playing over there every time I ever went and the imagination that is required to play well over there. You know, the ground is used a lot over there. We don't use the ground much in America. You know, we fly the ball everywhere we go. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have trouble in the Ryder Cup, because we don't have the imagination that the guys have that grow up in Europe. And so I wanted to, this is my gift back to American golf, basically. And I think it's needed. I think more people need to play golf courses like this. You know, there's a couple of blind shots on this golf course. Americans don't like blind shots because Ben Hogan said, how can you hit something you can't see? Well, what I would appeal to Americans is, is embrace the joy of having to wait and show patience to see what you did.
1: (laughs) I love that. That's awesome.
4: So tell me, getting back to using... Templates from CB McDonald and Seth Raynor. Why why that? Why did you go that route?
3: Well, I think I it's actually had a resurgence. A lot of people really like the old school. I mean, I'm I'm a traditionalist, Chris, and you know, I don't like music on the golf course. Uh I think we've allowed the ball to go too far too fast. I think people are struggling around the greens because everything's cut down so low and uh they're chili dipping and uh sculling the ball across the green because they can't hit the shot. They don't play enough to know where they bottom out at. So, you know, this this has got a lot of old school golf in it. And I want people to come out here and enjoy the game again. This, this golf course, you need to pick your poison, basically. Uh It's 7,400 yards long from the back, but there's, you know, five T's on every hole. So there's multiple yardages that you could play the golf course at. There's two holes that can, we can either play as a par four or a par three Two drivable, uh, par fours. If we want to play them that way or two long par threes. Uh, so I've put a lot of choices out there for the, the golfer themselves. And, uh, I think you'll hear a lot about it. It's called Darmo club, D A R M O R. I think, uh, There'll be a, a lot of people here about it.
4: It's right outside of Houston, right? It's actually in Columbus, Texas.
3: Yeah, it's west of Houston about, it was west of Katy, about 30 miles. And, you know, Houston's growing so fast and Austin is growing too. We're right in between Houston and Austin. And, uh, both of them are growing towards us, uh, one day, uh, probably not in my lifetime, but they'll join somewhere probably so many people moving to Texas its unbelievable.
4: Hal, let's switch gears a little bit. I want you mentioned the Ryder Cup and why we don't get enough practice on the kinds of courses when we play an away game over in Europe. Is that, you know, I, I think we've tried to figure out what the silver bullet is for why we don't win more of these things recently. We, there was the pod system and the buddy system and all kinds of things have been kind of thrown out there. And everyone, every time we, We kind of feel like we, we found the silver bullet. We find out we're wrong. Is it really just as simple as course layout and design stuff that we aren't used to, and then really the players going out and
3: playing better? Well, Chris, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me about this. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty well versed on it because I played in four Ryder Cups and then capped it one time. Uh, in recent years, there's been a lot of friction, I think. Uh, you know, people, uh, as far back as 99, you know, the talk of being paid to play and, uh, you know, uh, we see this across the board. I'm trying to be careful how I say this. We see this across the board in sports where people want more money and more money. They give you their best effort. They sign a big contract, and then you just saw the best they'll ever produce because they've signed the big contract. Sports has become about money. Whether you're an owner or whether you're a player, it's a lot of money involved. And if there's not enough money involved, they want more money involved. And I think we saw that this year. I think we saw that some of the guys didn't really want to be there and i think there i mean i don't know i wasn't there so i don't have any idea i mean this is speculation on my part but i'm watching and i just didn't see uh the want to and i don't know if i was reading that because of what i think is going on or i don't know if that's what i really saw but uh It's scary what's going on in sports right now. You know, I feel like college sports has been killed. My brother, my sister's youngest son is a starting quarterback at Baylor. And, you know, this NIL stuff has, it's ruining college sports. And, you know, people can transfer, you know, I mean, uh, I forgot what the number is, but like 12 starters on each team is somewhere else. They were somewhere else the year before. I mean, this is crazy. There's no loyalty in the world anymore. And I don't know, Chris, you want me to shut up?
4: No, I don't. Of course (laughs) I don't. But but, So let's take that a half step further, Hal, because that's the other thing I was going to ask you about is Xander's father alluded to the fact that he wanted an NIL deal, right? That's essentially the PGA of America. The Ryder Cup is profiting off the image and likeness of my son. We should get paid for that. And we know that there's things that they don't get directly paid for, but they get $200,000 for the charity of their choice. They get money put into their pension funds and, and all of that. I had Susie Whaley on the show a few weeks ago, and she talked about how the marketing of yourself as a <laughs> Ryder Cup player is indirectly a way that you are getting paid for these sorts of things. But NIL, to your point about college football and college sports in general, it's all very different than when you were in college and when I was in college. There was none of this sort of thing. I mean, we can talk about whether there was cheating and under the table money and all that sort of stuff, but at its at its core, there wasn't any of these things. And now everybody wants to get paid for everything. And I I struggle with that how I really do.
3: Well, so do I, Chris. You know, I would say that when we were playing it was more of a pure sport. All sports were at that point. We played because we loved the game more so than We got paid to. Let me give you an example. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and step on a limb and tell you a few things. When I was leading money winner in 1983, I don't remember the exact amount that I won, but it was about $450,000. And I made about $500,000 off of the golf course. I was 25 years old, so $950,000 or, or, yeah, right around a million dollars. My life wasn't set. I had to go back to work that same year now would be $50 million. Wow. So that guy doesn't have to go back to work. He doesn't have to have as much desire. So when you think about it like that, you know, I, my, I mean, I, you know, you, it wouldn't take that long. You could spend a million dollars. I mean, the way we played the tour, you know, we're, we're paying our own expenses and everything else. So it costs a lot to be out there. And, uh, you know, I had to keep trying to win. I mean, my life wasn't set and now, you know, live and everything else, you know, four or $5 million every time you play, win a tournament. I mean, these guys are racking up the money and they want more of it. Much wants more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So is is this a
4: a case of this NIL is coming to a, a golf tour near you or a golf tournament near you or a golf professional near you, particularly those that are out there playing on the PGA tour. Is this coming? Is there any way to stave this off? Can we appeal to players? Like, look, it means something to have your country on your shirt, on your hat in this event. You should be happy that you were chosen to play and this kind of thing. And there are ancillary benefits that will come your way because, you are a part of this thing or to your earlier point is everything all about the money. And it's all about the money. Even when they tell you it's not about the money.
3: Yeah. I don't think it'll ever turn around, Chris. I really don't. I mean, you know, one of the things i, I you know, I know you had your former guest on and he's part of the LIV and everything else. I'm not a big fan of the LIV and here's the reason why I'm not. I wore out two hips and a left knee. Both uh, all of them are artificial now because I walked no telling how many miles under the model of charity is the biggest winner each week not the player not the tournament the charities are the biggest winner every week I don't hear charity talked about nearly as much as I did here's what I hear talked about far profit mm-hmm. and so when you talk about for profit uh bottom line means everything not what's going to someone else that does good someone else's life and you know i'm i'm just i had pride in what the pga tour stood for it was probably the reason why the pga tour grew so much is because the rest of the world loved the model that charity was the big winner every week and now i just i don't see that and You know, I hate to say it, but I mean, Phil Mickelson started this in 1999. He was one of the ones that stood up and said, we need to be paid to play in the Ryder Cup. And the way I always looked at it was I was taught by a class A professional. His name was Ed Peck. And I played for Ed Peck every time I played in the Ryder Cup because I knew I didn't need the money. I was making money elsewhere, but the PGA of America had 27,000 professionals across The world that they were you know that would benefit from the monies from the Ryder Cup and that's who I played for every time I teed it up I thought about Ed who taught me the game and you know now it's self-driven instead of driven by the people that taught us how to play the game and taught us to appreciate the game so you know I'm not a big fan I'm I'm sorry, I'm 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 not warmed up to it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, it it seems like you're you're along the 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 lines, and 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 I'm there with you that would say the name on the front of the jersey is more important than the one on the back.
3: <laughs> well said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, they got the right guy running the LIV, or you know, commissioner of it, because he was pretty self-driven the whole time too. So. Uh, I mean, you know, from an insider, I played the tour for 25 years, Chris, I could give everybody a lot of insight that might give them some valuable things to make decisions on today.
1: (laughs) Well, we're certainly open to hearing what that is.
3: Well, I think, I think I've said enough already, but you know, uh, let me, let me say this. The LIV drew the people that were very self-driven and all about themselves. And, uh, you know, the people that were driven by other things besides, I mean, I'm not saying that people on the tour didn't think about self, but they had other thoughts too, Mm -hmm. uh, the people that went to LIV were trying to maximize everything they could for self. And, you know, just like me today, I'm 65 years old and. You know, this golf course that I've built, I spent, I mean, most architects, they're lucky if they get there once every five weeks. I've been here every day because I wanted to put something back into the game that I love so much. I didn't get paid for every day that I was out there. I did it because I loved the game and I wanted to build something that was special that would live well beyond house So, uh, you know, we need more people that do things because of that rather than how much am I getting paid to do it?
4: So just for context for everybody, and I want you to speak to this. In 2007, you were named the Payne Stewart Award winner for the work you do for charity. Speaking of charities, among your many awards, I'm imagining that one sticks out right at the top.
3: It's, it's first in my trophy room because uh, my peers, all everybody, we, we did things for charity and we wanted to help others and you know uh i can tell you right now uh the wanamaker trophy doesn't mean near as much to me as the Payne stewart award i love Payne. he and i lockered beside each other for 20 years and uh you know he gave the his whole check when he won bay hill to the children's hospital there or the arnold palmer hospital there uh you know, there were many people during that era that charity meant a lot to them and Payne was certainly one of those. So Tracy's still a close friend and, you know, I just, the Payne Stewart award every year I go to it and I'm so, I just sat there in admiration for the people that have done so much for others.
4: Let's switch gears a little bit, Hal, and just a couple more before I let you go, but I'm sure you've seen the new Tiger and Rory TGL League. We're growing the game now in unconventional ways with things like Top Golf, And now this TGL League is kind of a a video game-like league with tour pros teaming up with one another to compete. Is this something you're interested to watch and see how how it works when they start uh, in January?
3: Well, you know, I've got an academy here in Houston. We've got all the bells and whistles as far as indoor golf is concerned. And it's just not the same. So, (laughs) you know, I wish them luck. Uh, I probably it'll be successful, but, uh, you know, I still like the golf course myself.
4: Now, as we've talked many times, when you've been a part of the show, speaking of all the bells and whistles and the technology, you're a guy that dug it out of the dirt. You were looking at, you know, your ball flight and things of that nature to try to figure out what, what you needed to correct, not what your smash factor was or what your ball speed was or your angle of attack. None of that technology existed. Is that technology great? To your point, you've got it at, at your Academy. That's nice, but does anything substitute for the way the ball is actually flying?
3: Well, I mean, certainly a young person growing up in today's world, the technology uh, certainly has its place Uh, for people that are older that have grown up on the golf course. Um, I'm not sure what that does other than confuse you. Uh, I still think given lessons, there's nothing better than a video camera because it tells the real story. Uh, you know, I hit balls today for the first time in three months. And one of the things that I was working on while I was hitting balls was making sure my transition was really smooth. Um, You know, we want to hit it so far these days that, uh, the transition from backswing to downswing, uh, everything seems fast because we're trying to create speed. Well, here's what I got to say to everybody out there. Make sure that speed that is created is in the right spot. And it's certainly not in the transition area. So, uh, you know, to me, I don't need a radar to tell me that. I don't need a camera to tell me that. I feel it, and uh, I still think this is a game of feel, and this is, I mean, I'm sorry, but this game requires a lot of practice if you really want to be good at it. You don't have to be good at it to enjoy it. You need to get on the correct tee, whatever that is. Don't let your pride get in the way, and uh, get on a tee that you can enjoy the game, and that's my biggest advice for people out there.
4: How before I let you go, remind our listeners again about Darmor Club and when it's going to be open, and then how can we stay up to date with the progress and how it's growing in and everything else that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media.
3: Uh, well, we're not exactly sure we're going to open, but sometime this spring. And uh, you probably find out the most about it through Hal Sutton Golf uh we're not going to have a website or anything else we're we're not really marketing the club it's more of word of mouth basically so uh but anyway you'll see some of it on uh house and golf and our instagram and and a little bit whenever i have time you mentioned our podcast earlier uh chris i hadn't had any time to do the podcast i get people texting me all the time saying when are you going to do another podcast and you know I want to congratulate you. It's a lot of effort to have a really good podcast. It's it's an effort on your part to create the time and, and everything else and then uh, match everybody's schedule up to do it. So my hat's off to ha- what a great job you do, Chris.
4: Well, I appreciate that very much, Al. I'm blessed to have guys like you that uh, come back and are part of the show. Tonight's the 12th time. I got to have you here. The reason why this show is what it is is because of guys like Hal Sutton coming and sharing their stories and their insights. You are just one of the great people you get to meet in this game. Hal, you're you're genuine. You're as uh, as wonderful a person as you were a golfer, and we know that you are a tremendous golfer that should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. I can't thank you enough for everything you've meant to me in this show.
3: Well, Chris, I always love being on, so you can count on me. and. uh You do a great job. and I'm always honored to be part of it.
4: I'll take care my friend. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again, hopefully sometime soon.
3: Okay. Get well, Chris.
4: Thank you, Hal. All right. That is the great Hal Sutton, folks. HalSuttonGolf.com is his website at Hal Sutton Golf is where you can find him on social media. And like I say, he was one of the all-time great players out on the PGA Tour, but he is a 10 times better person. Than he was a golfer. And like I say, he should be a Hall of Fame golfer. So that tells you a bit of how much I think of Hal Sutton. And and the idea that he comes and has joined me 12 times. And this show has won uh, several awards, which I'm very blessed for. But the reason for that are guys like Hal Sutton coming and being a part of it. I look forward to having him back on the show again sometime soon and hearing more about Daymore Club. And uh, hopefully that is now, a course, that is on my bucket list. I can't wait to see it sometime. Coming up next is the third great friend of the show that I'm excited I get to share with you tonight. The host of his own great golf podcast called Grilling at the Green, and one of the foremost barbecue aficionados anywhere on the planet, and that is Jeff Tracy. Before I get to Jeff, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador. And over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarran, and Chris DiMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at under.com. That's the number two. UNDR.com. Two under performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scony changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too, so spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit sconey.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S K O N I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and greengrass pro shops nationwide.
3: Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find
4: the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is Jeff Tracy. Jeff is a great friend on and off the air. He was kind enough to ask me to be a guest on his great show, Grilling at the Green, for a second time a few weeks ago, so I wanted to do a home and home with him. So we get to have him with us tonight. His show is a lot of fun because Jeff makes it so. You can hear Jeff and Grilling at the Green, plus his other show, Barbecue Nation, on AM 860 up in Portland, Oregon, as well as on Amazon Music. Good pods. And both of our shows are a part of the Golf News Net Network of podcasts. You can check out Jeff online at thecowboycook.com, net, and on social media, at cowcook57. And I couldn't be more excited I get to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Jeff, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: I'm good, but I don't know why you want to talk to me. I could have sat there and listened to Hal for another hour. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so could I. He's fantastic, but uh, getting to spend some time with Jeff Tracy is equally as exciting as oh, anybody you. on this show. So I thank, thank you very you. much. For I
1: w- I was in your neck of the woods a few days ago, but at two in the morning, driving down I seventy five, I didn't want to call you and say, "Hey, you want to go have a bite to eat?" Uh, <laughs> while I was doing battle to get into the Atlanta airport. So, uh, well, I, I I would have loved to have uh, found a, a Waffle House
4: with you, but I'm not so sure it. <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, my wife would have appreciated that phone call, but I appreciate the thought anyway. <laughs> it's
1: all good. And I, hey, I got to tell you, I've traveled a lot. You know that. And I know you've traveled a lot, but I had my 1st Bucky's experience. Oh, you got to share that. Oh, that was great. Uh, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law who live in uh, Chattanooga, uh, she had called and said, listen, when you're coming out of Atlanta, you're going to get you know, about an hour north or so on I seventy five, and there's a Bucky's there. And I thought I knew all the truck stops in the country and stuff. I I did. Uh, I was wrong. Anyway, we went in there, and uh, you know, I bought a barbecue sandwich, which was pretty dang good. And we bought some fudge, and we bought some jerky, and yes, uh, the Wall of Jerky. Yeah, the that is incredible. <laughs> so uh, love it. I, I, you know, this is not a paid endorsement, but if you're traveling around down South and in the East coast and you come by a Bucky's, I would recommend that you stop. And, uh, even if you don't want to do anything, but just go in and walk around, it's amazing what they have in that place.
4: It really is. I love, I love Bucky's and to your point, you can go in there and just kind of stroll around for a while in amazement of yeah. all the things they have in there and all the gas pumps out front. I, I, I lost count as 40 gas pumps, something crazy number of gas pumps that they have. And then going in there and the wall of jerky is my favorite. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. And, uh, every time the guy, I, I was, you know, we were there for probably 25, 30 minutes and, and the guy making the barbecue sandwiches, every time he'd seem to bring out a kind of a bowl of barbecue sauce and dump it on this pile of chopped brisket and stuff, then he would yell. And the, the fudge lady was, her stand, if you will, was backed up right next to it. And I happened to be standing there when he yelled and I said, Uh, does that get a little old? She goes, only after the four hundredth time. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So it was all good. You know, I if you would, Chris, uh I wanna I wanna kinda dovetail on something that Hal Sutton said there. Please. I am I am very big into helping uh people i'm um, um, I'm not rich, but I've been very fortunate to do a lot of interesting things in my life and I like to work with benefit tournaments, golf tournaments for scholarships and things for for kids uh, I work with some charities here in the Portland area. one of them is refit, and I know they've got branches all across the country, and that's where Contractors will go um, to somebody's home, and like if uh, they have uh, you know some sort of physical issue, they will put like an ADA approved ramp in so they can make it easier to get into their house, or widen a bathroom door, or install an ADA approved shower or kitchen counters, what have you. And and that's just one example, but I think Hal is right in the fact of. You know, the the Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and all those guys and Tiger, you know, the TGF and all that. They all have these foundations and charities that they work with. I don't hear a lot. Now, maybe they do because I don't pay that much attention to it. But a lot of the younger guys that were making huge dollars like Hal was speaking to. I don't see a lot of them, you know, starting a foundation or, or supporting a wing on a hospital. Now, maybe they do, but because uh, I wouldn't be privy to, you know, everybody's personal uh, information. But, you know, that was one of the things that really got me, besides playing golf, that was one of the things that actually kept me interested over the years, was how how these guys that were making incredible amounts of money, uh, for a, uh, you know, deserved for the skills that they had, but we're also helping, if you will, the civilian population. And I don't think we hear enough about that now. When these guys are making fifty million a year, and they're ticked off because they're not making sixty, well, you know, did you take five million of that and put it into uh, a group of local charities or your own foundation that disperses it in? Whatever prerequisites they have to do that, so I think that's an interesting point that Hal made.
4: Yeah, no, and I and I agree with you. Now I know there are players out there that are doing good things. You know, mm-hmm. Jordan Spieth comes to mind. Um, but to your point and to Hal's point, I mean, it would be nice to hear more about that. I, but I, you know, to your point about not knowing, one of the sad things about the sports world to me, Jeff. Is we can find out on ESPN.com or FoxSports.com or CBSSports.com the minute somebody got arrested. We'll find yep. out that story, headline, uh, you know, on those sites, headlines uh, on, you know, those broadcasts. But we don't find out about, and we talk about this on, on our football show Thursday Night Tailgate, and we do a, a spotlight on the positive segment because we don't hear enough about the good things the players are out there doing. We just hear about the bad things most of the time. And to this, this idea of NIL and, you know, Patrick Kentley wearing a hat, not wearing a hat, you know, Xander Shuffley getting paid, you know, to be in the, the Ryder Cup and all of that. And that, and that is news. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly want people's thoughts and ideas about going down that path. And do we have to have NIL deals now for people in order for them to be interested in, in playing in an event or wearing their country on their shirt and their hat? Right. And, Are we going to have to have that now in the Olympics to get guys to want to play? Are they going to need to get paid somehow for that? So all that stuff, you know, is is just unfortunate. But we don't hear enough about the good things. And to your point of whether they're doing it or not, it sure would be nice to hear. And it doesn't have to be boasting on their behalf. I don't want to see a tale of the tape like, you know, we we helped you know a thousand people, twelve hundred people, and all that sort of stuff because that becomes braggadocious. But what I would like to hear about is their involvement in things like that. And, uh, to your point about, you know, whether you're putting a wing on a hospital or sponsoring, you know, some, some foundation event or giving back to the local community and, and doing things with Habitat for Humanities or something like that, it would be nice to hear that, uh, folks are actually interested in things beyond themselves, because to Hal's point, that's, what's going to be here long after you, I mean, look at Mr. Palmer's hospital for women and children down in Orlando. That's mm-hmm. going to go on for generations beyond Mr. Palmer's life. Uh, I'm sure the same for Mr. Nicholas and, and the hospital that he is affiliated with, uh, you know, down in South Florida. So those are, I, I think, things we at least like to have the knowledge of um, that they're doing. So yeah. I think you've got a valid point on that.
1: Yeah, I I think so. And and it's like I uh, did a show with Bob Estes today. Uh, covered a Love lot Bob. of character, Yeah, Bob's a great guy and. Um uh, the one thing he pointed out, I was talking to him about uh pro ams and, and different tournaments, and he supported the uh the Tom Landry uh tournament for a long time and he kind of was the host of it. Well, he can't do that anymore because of his schedule, but he said, you know, I still do some things. Like I buy all the golf balls for the tournament. I do this, I do that. He told me several things that he did. And I thought, well. That makes sense. You know, he can't be there for the actual tournament, but he can do some things and use his resources and keep his name in there uh, as as part of the tournament and make it beneficial to the people that are actually at the event. Um, he just didn't disappear from it. and And I think, you know, he knows what he can do and what he can't do, just like we all do and uh but i was impressed with the fact that he did kind of keep his hand into the mix if you if you will um chris because he he just things changed you know and he's headed to boca this this next week for the playoffs and so on and so on and so on and so um I think that's impressive to me that he's still involved with it, even though he can't be there on site for the actual event versus the other things I was pointing out is that certain players that we know and, and, uh, how was talking about at live or live. And, you know, you go out there and these guys are making huge dollars. Um, the, the stars on live are making huge dollars, but, I haven't heard too much about their charity functions. And like you said, maybe they are. And good for them if they are. But somehow I get the feeling some of them are not that particularly interested in, you know, helping out. They're they're there to solidify their own bank account. And I could be wrong on that. And if I'm wrong, I'll stand correct.
4: Jeff, let's switch gears a little bit. And uh, sure. like you said a minute ago, you've traveled the world and a lot of that time you were Officiating horse shows and mm-hmm. Brenda Calcavecchia is doing, is involved in the horse show industry now. Scott McCarron's wife, Jenny, also right. involved. Hal Sutton got involved in the horse industry for a while and still is. Gary Player owns horses as well. Have you seen a lot of crossover between the golf and the horse show industries?
1: Quite a bit. Quite a bit from them and quite a bit out of the entertainment business and quite a bit out of other professional sports. Uh, football and baseball in particular, um, the wives or kids. And when you talk about entertainment, you got Tom Selleck's daughter rides, uh, Steven Spielberg's daughter rides, Bruce Springsteen's daughter rides. That's just a handful there, but there's a lot of that. I mean, uh, William Shatner himself rode for years. He, I don't know if he still does or he doesn't. I haven't talked to him or seen him in a long time, but, uh. There was quite a bit of it because it, it gave uh, something that the family was interested in, not the, not the sports icon themselves, but their family, their wives, their kids, whatever. But they would show up at times and watch the events and they were just like normal people. And, you know, you get to talk to them, a few of them here and there, and and they were interested in my job. They were interested in, uh, their kids and, and the performance of whatever relative or associate they have is doing that. They're interested in a lot of things. So I find a, a lot of them were uh very curious about the horse world and very interested in it. And some of them stayed for a long time. So yeah, you, you could say there was a pretty good crossover. You're also one of the, barbecue
4: connoisseurs that we have in this world. One of the top people in that industry, if you will. So tell folks, you, you, you've got Grilling at the Green and obviously the grilling piece coming from that, that, that piece. You've also got Barbecue Nation that you do. You're also involved in, in a lot of things that uh, kind of crossover between the two. Talk about your show, Grilling at the Green and Barbecue Nation
1: and how you're able to do both of those things at the same time. I'm not really sure some days. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how grilling at the green came about. I got uh, hired by a large media company a number of years back to come in, and, uh, the a local host had done a, a barbecue show and then he left. And they called me and said, Would you like to come in and talk to us? And I did. We worked out a deal and that was fine. But I said, You've got to, uh, Let me do this golf show. And they said, What do you know about golf? I said, Probably as much as the next guy, except that golf lifestyle. And anytime somebody talks about lifestyle, there's food involved. And because of the world of golf, and we have international players, we have people from South America and Europe, and that there's all these influences on food and grilling and barbecuing. They're, they're, if you talk to a real barbecue aficionado, Chris, there are two different things. Barbecuing and grilling are two different things. But for most people, they're not. They're one and the same, which is just fine with me. Um, but I, I really think that, you know, in all the golf coverage that's out there, one of the things that, that people miss, and I'm talking about television, uh, sometimes they'll do a little piece on, the milkshakes at at Jack's tournament or something like that. But there's so much more to it that people really can get involved in, if you will, outdoor cooking. And so hence the grilling at the green show came to life too. They, they hired me to do the barbecue show because I'd been cooking on television for a long time. I won't tell you the amount of years, but a long time I started when I was three (laughs) <laughs> and uh and they thought i could handle it and i had done radio i other syndicated radio shows over the years so uh yeah we that's how they kind of all melded together and we are turning uh grilling at the green into a television show uh leanne Whippin, who's a hall of fame barbecue uh you know icon lack of a better term and i are hosting the uh, show we just finished filming the first seven, uh, shows worth of cooking segments, And now we're going to go back and fill in some of the, the personality profiles that we'll be working with like that. And again, through our friend, Ryan, uh, Balanji, this is going to be on the golf uh, news network channels that are coming out on television after the first of the year. And so, um, we're going to cross over the food and the golf, and, uh, I will, I'll, I'll take one more little comment there, Chris, years ago, when we first started this, there was, uh, Peter Jacobson always had a tournament. They used to call it Peter's party up here in Portland. And it moved over to central Oregon. And of course, uh, golf channel folks, uh, covered it. And I ran into one of the hosts who shall remain nameless. And I said, well, this is what we're up to. This is what we're doing. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, you know, we thought about that. We were going to get all the five-star chefs from like Arnold's place and Jack's place and, and uh, you know, Downward Tire plays and all this stuff. And I said, but I think you're missing the point because a lot of folks can't really truly afford to go to those. That's That's kind of a bucket list deal, you know, to go play at Bay Hill and have a lovely dinner but your bill's going to be pretty steep. And so I said we're going to do this so everybody can uh enjoy the food and all that. And he looked at me like I had three heads. Maybe I did that day, I don't know. But uh anyway, so it's going to be things that you can come home from playing your round uh cook this particular sandwich or entree or whatever it is and the sides and sit down and enjoy it with your family and friends talk about uh your terrible round or whatever and uh go from there so we're pretty <laughs> excited about that as you should be i can't wait to watch Are you kidding
4: me yes
1: yeah, it's going to be fun it's going to be fun and leanne actually golfs a little bit she's a little bitty thing and i'm big um and so we kind of look like mutt and jeff roles reverse there when we're standing there but uh <laughs> uh I did put in a putting green, uh, right behind the set. And, uh, we had a bright cherry red golf cart back there and some other accoutrements. So it's, it's going to be a fun show. Can't wait. Yeah. All right. So
4: one more before I let you go. And as you take, you know, you got us all, you know, our taste buds are going. Okay. So for, so for those of us that, you know, we, we don't have a ton of money we do enjoy good cooking and we do enjoy good golf and all of that sort of thing. so as we've come off the golf course in your last scenario, what is a barbecue sauce that we all need to have in our, in our, either our pantries or in our, uh, in our refrigerators or a a spice or a rub that we should have on our spice rack in order to make the perfect piece of meat.
1: Okay. Um, well, as far as the rub goes, I would recommend that people go to, uh, Leanne actually has one that's called pig powder and it was, uh, invented by her father, uh, who was a commercial airline pilot. And it's, like I said, it's called pig powder and I believe you can go to pigpowder.com and order whatever it is you want there. Uh, as far as size of the, you know, bottles, there's a couple different choices on that deal. That's one thing you should have because it works well. It's not just for pork. I've used it on steak. I've used it on vegetables. I've used it on seafood. I think it's a very well-rounded rub that you can have. And uh, Leanne likes to say it's a little sweet with a little heat. And I think that's very good. And you can't ever go wrong with salt, pepper, garlic. In the barbecue world, they call that the trinity. And uh, there's places online you can buy it. You can mix it up yourself. But just salt, pepper, garlic like that. Um, as far as the sauce, uh, there's a couple of them, uh, not far that north of you up there in North Carolina, uh, Ford's gourmet foods have a sauce called bone sucking sauce and, uh, uh, and they've got different varieties of it. They've got regular, they've got a Memphis style. They've got, uh, something with a little more heat in it, that type of thing. They have a good selection there. That and uh, uh, Blue's Hog, uh, you can find that usually at any big barbecue store. And Brian Lay has a good one called BT Lay's as a good sauce there too. So there's a lot of good ones that I know some of the barbecue people are going to listen to this. They will might be upset with me for leaving them off the list. But those are some of the ones you can find most commonly. And they really do the job for you.
4: Jeff, before I let you go, remind our listeners again, how can they stay up to date with the great things you're doing on your website, on social media? And when can we look forward to watching this TV show?
1: Sometime after the the first of the year. I don't know the exact date that the network is going to launch on the different platforms because it's going to be on, uh, of course, the apps as far as Amazon and Apple and that type of thing. But it's also going to be on Roku and Pluto. Uh, sling. Um, Ryan's doing a great job just building the entire network there. So, I'm thinking that they're probably going to launch sometime toward the end of January, first part of February. And you can always go to grillingatthegreen.net or we post a lot every week on social media. Um, and you can go to barbecuenationjt.com for more barbecue news. I've got three websites, so I don't want to confuse people. But uh, if you want just hardcore barbecue stuff, go to jt.com If you want general cooking stuff, you can go to cowboycook.com. And if you want the golf stuff, just go to grillingatthegreen.net. And they're all intertwined. So one will direct you to another one if you uh, are looking for something and you don't know, you're not finding the answer on one website, it'll be on the other one. And the social media platforms were on 9 million of those like you are Chris so it's not too hard to find us
4: Jeff you're a treasure my friend I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show just like how I could spend hours talking to you you're fantastic my friend you're one of the wonderful people that I've been blessed to get to know uh, doing this show and I've been blessed to do yours a couple of times and and uh, just to get to know you off the air uh, through the other things that we're doing together on the different platforms we're on together and just Become friends through through social media. I'm yeah. very blessed that I've uh,
1: that I've had you come across my path. I feel the same way towards you, Chris. And do me a favor, though. The next time you have Hal, Hal on, go ahead and book me. You don't have to put me on the air, but just book me so I can listen to your record with him. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. I appreciate that very much. Take care, uh, my friend. All the best to you and the family. We'll catch up soon. You got it. Thanks, Chris. See you, Jeff. Be well. All right. Bye-bye.
4: That is the great Jeff Tracy, folks. And Jeff is just one of the most wonderful people you'll ever meet. His show, Grilling at the Green, is so much fun to do and be a part of. He is a scream on that show. And his talent is immense from a broadcast perspective for what he does with food. And be sure to go out and check it out. BBQNationJT.com is the website. GrillingAtTheGreen.net is the golf website. And you can also find it. On just about any podcast site, our good friends over at Good Pods have it available for you there. And then GolfNewsNet dot uh, com, with our our great friends over there, have both of our shows available for you. And to think now that he is going to have a TV show on Roku, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch Jeff as a part of that show and his and his partner Leon. They are both such wonderful individuals and and so immensely talented. And that's the thing that that comes across about Jeff on a couple of levels. One, he's immensely talented in a lot of different areas. He's a genuine, wonderful human being. And the things that he does and he is a part of are just absolutely top-notch. And I'm honored that he has asked me to come on his show a couple of times. I'm glad he has reciprocated and come on this show a couple of times. And uh, we will definitely get him back and hear more about what he's got going on very, very soon. Coming up next is going to be Dr. Bob Winters. He is one of the foremost sports psychologists in the industry. He's been doing great work for many, many years. He is out there at the Ledbetter Golf Academy headquarters down there in Orlando. So much to get into to help us from our mental approach standpoint. Before I get to Dr. Bob, I want to remind you about our friends over at Squares Golf. And folks, do you sway and you're off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure in a hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speedbolt at Squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low-country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strantz designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit caledoniagolfandfishclub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's caledoniagolfandfishclub.com. Now making his next On the T debut with me is Dr. Bob Winters. Dr. Bob is a sports psychologist, author, and professional educator. He has his own performance enhancement company in Orlando, Florida. He is also the resident sports psychologist at the Ledbetter Golf Academy headquarters at the Reunion Resort there in Orlando. Dr. Bob completed his PhD at the University of Virginia, and he was a member of their athletic coaching staff for eight years. He earned his undergraduate and master's degrees at Ball State, Played on the golf team there and was named team captain for the 1975-76 season. He has also coached and counseled several great players out on the PGA, LPGA, and Live Tours, including Brooks Kepka, Tony Finau, Lee Westwood, Justin Rose, Kelly Whaley, daughter of our good friend Susie, and Michelle Wee. And I couldn't be more excited that I get to have him with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Dr. Bob, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Chris, it's great to be on the show.
4: So, yeah. Dr. Bob, I want to start by going back to your days playing college golf at Ball State. And first of all, why Ball State?
0: Well, Ball State, you know, I'm a a Hoosier native. I grew up about an hour, hour and a half away from Muncie, Indiana. And uh, I was a walk-on to Ball State, Chris. And it was pretty interesting because the summer leading up to my fall debut, uh, being a freshman on the Ball State campus, I went to the Arnold Palmer Golf Academy up at Stratton Mountain, Vermont. This is now this dates me a little bit. We go back a long way. This is 1971, and Arnold had his unbelievable academy. You know, for boys at that time, it was a three-week you know academy. I drove up from Indiana, but you have to understand, I was only about five foot and about 95 pounds. I looked really, really young. I was stopped a couple of times uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, uh, trying to drive up to Vermont uh, because they thought maybe a 10 or 11 year old was driving the car. Uh, But I was just turning 18 at that time, went there, locked my keys inside my car, and I had to uh, wait for snail mail to get, you know, my keys to unlock, you know, my trunk. So for three or four days, I was wearing, you know, blue jeans, a Ball State uh, T-shirt, had to borrow clubs. And I borrowed some clubs from Yale golfer Bodie Marks, who was the captain of the team. And on the first day of the golf course, there was a 217-yard par three. And i stepped up there and i actually hit it and hit it into the hole made made a hole in one on my first day three weeks later i i win you know one of the championships and arnold palmer gives me uh both of my trophies and he asked me he goes you made a hole in one with the driver and i said yes sir i did and he goes i've never done that before he goes what's it feel like and i said feels pretty damn good. And he goes, I imagine it does. And so he told me, he says, are you going to college? I said, I'm going to go to Ball State University. He said, are you going to play in the golf team there? And I go, uh, I you know, don't have any scholarship or anything. He goes, hey, you know, someone who wins my tournament, someone who gets a hole in one, someone who's showing all the promise, I need you to go into the golf you know, coach and tell him you want to play for his team. Will you do that for me? And I did. And that second day at school, when I was at Ball State, I walked into coach Earl Meyer's office there at Muncie. And I told him I wanted to play on the team. And he said, well, what year are you in school? And you have to understand, I looked really, really little and very, very young. And I said, I'm a freshman. And he said, well, Bobby, I can't really do too much for you here. He goes, let's wait a couple of years and see how things develop. And I go, a couple of years. I said, I'll You know, I'll already be almost graduated. He goes, yeah, you almost be out of high school. And I go, no, no, coach. uh, I'm a freshman here. And he goes, where? And I go, Ball State. He looks at me, he goes, how old are you? And I go, I'm 18. He goes, oh, my God, I thought you were like 12 or 13 years old. He goes, who told you to come in and see me? And I go, Arnold Palmer. (laughs) And he looked at me, you know, sort of incredulously. And he goes, Arnold Palmer. I said, yeah, Arnold Palmer told me to come in and introduce myself to you. And sort of the rest is history. I walked my way onto the team and I earned my spot onto the team and uh, had a what I think a wonderful college career and went on to play, you know, professional golf. And I've been to PGA Tour schools. I've been to Champion Tour schools. uh, I haven't, you know, qualified, but I've come very close. And uh, like I've been a you know, college coach at the University of Virginia. I started all the Nike golf schools. And now I've been with David Ledbetter for about 25 years as his resident court psychologist at his World Teaching Academies here in Orlando, Florida. And it's just you know, like Jimmy Stewart. You know, Chris, it's been a wonderful life. And uh, that's how it started. But you asked me the question, Ball State. And I'm sorry for giving you the 25 cent, <laughs> more, but, but, there, but there it is.
4: So let's take that Arnold Palmer story a step further, because you played a round of golf with Mr. Palmer in 2007. Obviously, yeah. a lot of years after that first meeting, he, he had given you a putting tip way back then when you were a young student at, at his academy. And, and there you are in 2007. You're making a lot of putts during a round that you're playing with the king. And he wanted to know what you were doing to make all of those putts. And you told him it was a lesson he gave you.
0: That's Tell exactly, that story. Exactly right. It was on Good Friday, the day after. Uh, it was during Masters Week. And Arnie always has the Arnie shootout. And my good friend, Ron Jackson, who was, you know, president, you know, of, you know, the Toro and Rainbird Enterprises. And he said, hey, Arnie wants to play with you. He said, do you want to be a part of his team? And I go, absolutely. So Dr. Howdy Giles, you know, was taking pictures and, and we had a lot of great people. You know, Dick Ferris was the United Airlines former CEO, was part of our group. And on the first tee, the king comes up to me and he says, he goes, Bob, and he, he didn't know me before because my very best friend uh, was one of his, you know, you know, very close business associates and his accountant. And he looked at me, he goes, are you ready to play? And I go, yes, sir, I am. He goes, well, you damn better, better be. I, I want to win this thing. And so, our, you know, the king, when he gives, you know, the private, you know, a uh, command like that, you better be ready to play. Well, I was going along pretty well there at Bay Hill and I think I was one or two under coming into the 11th hole. And so we're standing there in the 11th hole together and Arnie kind of nudges me and he says, hey, Bob, he goes, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? He goes, you're making a lot of putts. He goes, what's going on? I said, I'm just doing what you told me years ago when I was 17 at you know Palmer Golf Academy. And he looked at me and he goes, what did I tell you? And I said, well, you told me to step into every putt, really having a strong image of where you want that ball to go, believing that ball's going to go in. Step in there, keep your head and your body still, and hit the putt solid. And there, you know, and then go pick it out of the hole. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, he stuck out, you know, kind of that that lower lip and he goes, hmm, that's what I told you, huh? And I said, Yeah, word for word. He goes, I'd better start doing that. I said, yeah, Arnie, we've only got about five or six more holes. And this is a true story. And I you know, swear on my mother's grave on this story. He made four putts of 20 foot or more in the next five to six holes. And he wow. made like a 10 foot putt. Uh, and he had some sort of side game going along with Dick and Ron Jackson at the time. And he knocked it in. And he just gave one of those Arnie, you know, sort of pumps. And he had a smile on his ear, looked like a Cheshire cat. And he came up from behind. And, you know, he wasn't a young man at the time, but he, you know, grabbed me by the shoulders. And he goes, I'll tell you what, Bobby. He goes, They can talk all they want about hitting those 300 yard drives, but there's nothing, nothing like making that winning putt. And, and so that was really, you know, one of you know, the absolute best days in my golfing career, my golfing life. You know, when you can give back, to your you know your role model to your hero to your king and something that he gave you years ago i mean that is the ultimate that was just nirvana for me so that, that's that story to his point about
4: there's nothing like sinking a winning putt all these guys today out on tour they drive the ball well over 300 yards and it's and i'm sure they get a little wry smile on their face when when they've outdriven their playing partner for you're out there playing with your friends and and you outdrive them, but when you sink a big putt, that seems to live forever. That story, just like the one you just said, lives forever. Long drives are nice, but winning putts and being there to and, and impress the king with how you're making putts—those stories live forever. The long drives really don't.
0: Well, I got to tell you, if you just go back to you know the most recent Ryder Cup, and I'm thinking of Tommy Fleetwood, who has his 15-foot par putt. Uh, to you know continue and to continue the momentum he actually nails that thing and he and Rory are going to the next tee when you make a putt like that I mean you know putting it it really is you know the difference maker I mean we always say you know you drive for show you putt for dough but I got to tell you if you just can't get that ball into the hole I mean it really leads to a lot of frustration and it really sort of takes away people's Golf confidence because they're hitting it well, they're striking it well, and then they just say, I just can't buy a putt. And a lot of times I hear players say, I'm just snake bit. And somebody who spent about 50 years of their life studying the psychology of great putting and great thoughts. I mean, that's really what the difference between great putters and mediocre putters is, Chris. It's just their ability to believe that when they step into the putt, they see it going in, they feel it going in they anticipate it going in and even if they don't make the putt they are missing it but they're missing it with the intention this ball's going in so when they miss it they miss it well and at the end of the day you know someone's putting great because every putt you know that they hit you're looking at it thinking man that ball's got a chance to go in so that's really what great putting is to me
4: so let's take that idea a step further because Talk about the importance of belief, because you don't believe that this is going to happen. You don't believe that you can make it. You're right. You're not going to make it. Talk about why believing that you can is so important.
0: Well, I mean, just think about the word believe. You know, when we spell it, it's B-E-L-I-E-V-E. If you don't believe that your drive's going down the middle of the fairway, if you don't believe your chip shot's going to go in the hole, or you don't believe that putt's going into the hole. Really what are you telling yourself? In the middle of the word believe, if you don't believe it, it's just a lie. And I know a lot of players, you know, step in there and they want to believe it, but they don't believe it at all. And so when they step in, they're just giving it what we call, you know, the hit and hope stroke or what we call the hit and pray stroke. They're they're just hoping that, you know, some way it manages to find its way in the hole. But that isn't really what a purpose for a confident stroke is. A confident stroke says, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And here we go. Let's do it. And whenever you see a person putting with confidence, you know, it's something that just oozes out of them. So confidence just isn't believing that you can do something. It isn't just mental. It's physical. It's emotional. And even more important than that, Chris, it's visceral. You can feel it in your glands. You can feel that momentum. It's something. And that's why people treasure it. And I remember, you know, Jack Nicholas, And I remember, you know, talking to him about this years ago because I was, you know, one of the uh, psychology support people for his, you know, Golden Bear Tour here in Southern Florida years ago. And I remember Jack said that confidence is the single most important factor in this game. And no matter how great you have natural talent, there's only one way to obtain it, sustain it, and that's through your preparation and your work. And So when you have people like Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Seve Ballesteros, Lee Trevino, I mean, you know, Annika, you know, the list goes on and on. They talk about confidence. But the reason why people love confidence so much is that, yes, they believe they can do something, but it's the other, it's what I call, you know, it's the left jab says, I believe it, but the right-hand knockout punch Is when someone says, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to fail. Here we go. And I'm, and I'm bulletproof. And that's why people love to, you know, create and feel confident because it makes them feel bulletproof. It makes them feel immortal. It makes them feel great. And and that's why I'm always talking about helping, you know, develop, create and sustain durable, enduring confidence. You
4: mentioned the word afraid, and when you did your master's thesis, you did it on the effects that anxiety and stress have on golf performance and how golfers can overcome both of them. How can we get over being anxious and stressed out on the golf course?
0: I think that's the whole point about being in the moment, Chris. You know, when we talk about fear, anxiety, worry, we're talking about something that's anticipated. fear. F-E-A-R, you know, it stands for false expectations appearing real. So these feelings appear real. And they, they might be real feelings, but they're still just feelings. So we have to replace that fear, that anxiety. And we have got to use F-E-A-R. And what we have to do is we have to focus on execution, executing our process, and then accepting the result. And then F-E-A-R also means focusing your energy around your routine, because it's your routine that helps you stay in the moment. Because when you're thinking about something that might happen, what if you're not really taking care of what is, what's going on in this moment. Nike became this multi-billion dollar company because they had a three-word slogan, just do it. And that's really what I'm trying to help every one of my players, whether they're junior, college, developmental tour, elite, the best in the world. I want you to step in there. I want you to have a plan. You know, you've already prepared. Let's step in and let's do exactly what you want to do. But we're going to do it right here in the now, because when you own the now, you own that moment. And that's really what great golf is, It's creating each shot one moment at a time. And we're going to do that one after one after one until we're done. And believe me, it's a lot easier to talk about than it is to do. But once you start doing it, you start sitting here going, wow, there's some real magic there.
4: You've also done some work with perceptual and optometric science with Dr. Herbert Price. How has your work with sports vision research ultimately led to improved putting and golf instruction?
0: Well, I was really one of the probably one of the very first uh, to really start looking at, you know, the effects of using your dominant eye, how it affects confidence. you know, knowing your right or your left eye, knowing how to actually step into it. And when I was really going out on tour with all this sports vision and the difference between sports vision and sports psychology is that with sports vision, you're talking about understanding how your sensory system, especially your dominant sensory system, your visual system works. And when I would go out on tour, I would actually, you know, talk to players and and ask them really what they're seeing in greens. And I remember uh, working with Joe Inman, Alan Miller, Jim Simons, you know, was a real, you know, great person about sports vision. And it led me to one Bernhard Langer. And I remember, you know, talking with Bernhard and working with him a week before the Masters. We were at the TPC Sawgrass and he was stepping over the ball and I was telling him who I was and what I do. And one of the things I knew from earlier sports vision screenings is that he would actually take a long time over the ball when he would look down at the ball, Chris, and then look at the hole and then come back to the ball. We would talk about accommodation, near and far accommodation. When he came back to the ball, it took him four to five, almost six seconds to readjust his eyes and then take the putter back. I thought that was a correlation for him freezing and actually having you know these putter problems, and so I was helping him get into a position with his eyes over the ball. We found out he was right eye dominant, and helping him align himself better, and so that when he came back to the ball, he just knew he was in the right spot. He could take back and he could actually put it well. Well, he went on to play really well there at the TPC Players Championship that week. He had a week off, and then the next week he goes. And he wins, you know, the Masters without having a three putt. Now, no one really knew about my work at the time, but I knew that was a marker for me. Years later, you know, I was working and going out and getting uh, interviews for our book with Dr. Patrick Cohn, one of my great colleagues and friends, called The Mental Art of Putting. And I was going out and asking, you know, people like Bill Glasson and Bob Burns and people like that, what they felt putting confidence was to them. And I remember Billy Glaston saying to me putting confidence. That's a putt, that's a foreign term to me. Those two words don't go together. And uh, I started helping him understand how he was using his eyes and how to actually, you know, roll his eyes up, you know, the ball roll line and actually come back to the ball and put specifically on, you know, an aim point at that time. It wasn't called aim point at that time, but I was talking about ball hole lines, ball roll lines really understanding the parabolic curve, you know, in the lines, you know, for the ball going from the ball to the hole. So he actually started making like, you know, three or four 15 footers in a row. And he goes, wow. And this is the 1994 Phoenix Open. And we spent about a day, day and a half working with Billy Glaston. He goes on to win, you know, the Phoenix Open. So over the years, I've taken sports psychology, I've taken motor learning, I've taken sports vision, i have taken all these different things from positive psychology, perceptual psychology, educational and sports psychology. And we've made it into a nice hybrid in that we call, you know, confidence psychology. So when you step into a shot, you know, you really want to know where your target is to have visual memory. You want to come back and you want to swing, you know, to that visual memory and knowing what your dominant eye is, knowing how your eyes work, how, you know, how you have fusion. That's all really important. So, you know, Herbert Price, Dr. Herbert Price was a good friend, you know, Dr. Craig Farnsworth. And he introduced me to two of the pioneers in the sports division field, uh, Dr. Bill Lee and Dr. Bill Harrison out of Laguna in Gale, California. And I had a chance, you know, to be, you know, sort of schooled and learn from the best. And and if you think about my career, I mean, I've been trained by the best, hopefully, to be one of the best. I mean, I've been with the Bill Harrison, the, the Craig Farnsworth, the Dr. Herbert Price, Dr. Bob Rotella, Dr. Linda Bunker at Virginia in sports psychology and motor performance. So, like I say, it's been a wonderful life. And what I'm trying to do right now, Chris, like on your show, is just give back all of this information that I've accumulated over many decades of uh, experimental research, applied research, and, and my own experiences as a player and as a coach.
4: So let's get a couple of tips from you because Dr. Bob, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about the mental side of the game and all sure. the negative self talk that we do to ourselves out on the golf course when we hit a bad shot, like we have a, a hazard, a pond, whatever, you know, in front of us. And then the next thing you know, we're, we, we get all, you know, anxious about the shot and we start to think about the negative things that are going to happen and we manifest that by hitting a fat shot. The next thing you know, it plops right there. In the water in front of us, we say a lot of bad things to ourselves in those moments. We throw down another ball, and a lot of times immediately we hit another bad one. What should we do so we don't turn one bad shot into several bad shots?
0: Well, it's something you know, i you know kind of found out you know, a long time ago, but it was called the five p's p is in like Paul or Peter, is that poor planning leads to piss poor performance. okay, so, What we're going to try to do is kind of replace those five P's with proper preparation, proper planning, precedes purposeful performance. So let's just say, Chris, you've actually hit a shot and you don't like that shot. So instead of getting really upset, you know, berating yourself and and saying all these bad things that we do, what I want you to do is I want you to kind of take a couple steps back and I want you to swing that club. I want you to swing it vigorously. Take 2 swingaways with that club. Swing it away. Just swing away those bad feelings, whatever it is. Then before you put that club back in your bag, back into the cart, or give it to your caddy, I need you to create what we call you know, a really good model swing. I want you to actually create the good movement, all right? So then when you make that purposeful movement, you're now putting a good feeling back into the bag. And people ask me, well, what's that all about? And I always say, well, you would never put an angry passenger on a jet plane, would you? And they go, no. And I say, well, that's the same thing. We're not putting anger or a missed feeling back into the bag. Because when you put anger into that bag and you take it to the next shot, you're actually pulling out that same club and you're going, all right, you little stinker, you're not going to do it to me like you did on the last poll. What we're doing is we're parking our anger, we're parking our failure we're actually saying i'm going to release this i'm going to park it right here and i'm now going to create a purposeful movement and that's the feeling i want to put you know into this bag right now it gives you a chance to decompress it gives you a chance to sort of you know clear the air you know let the dust settle and then kind of get yourself focused on the next shot because what you know i see players do they get upset and they become garbage collectors They take their trash from one shot to another shot to another shot. And it's two or three holes they've done this. They've already done damage to their round. And no amount of damage control can really sort of make up for those three or four holes where you just go out the window. So what we try to do is do this two swing, swing away, and then make a very purposeful swing. And that is really what we call neural priming you're telling the body, this is exactly how I want to swing you know, my next shot. And so what you're doing now, you're creating this motor schema, this imprint in your brain that says, that's the feeling that I want to create the next time I step into the shot. So instead of you know, stepping into the next shot, feeling like, oh, you're all pissed off, you're angry, you, you don't have the right feel, you now go, okay, here's a new opportunity. And I love that. It's a new opportunity It's a new shot, a new creation. And that's the whole notion about playing one shot at a time is that, you know, we're not just doing it, you know, non-thinking, repetitively. Every shot is a new creation. And the challenge of this game is to see how great you can be at meeting every opportunity, every challenge with this unbelievable mindset, because where your mind goes is usually where the ball follows. And if you're thinking good stuff, it's pretty funny how that little white ball usually finds, you know, the middle of the fairway and it finds the bottom of the cup.
4: So let's take that a step further and thinking good stuff instead of the negative self-talk that we do. Let's take that 180 degrees and talk about learning optimism instead of going negative. How can we change our point of view and see the positive?
0: Well, that's the first thing, Chris. I mean, you you've asked, you know, a billion dollar question right there. Because while we find out, you know, through the professional literature now over the last 50 to 60 years, negative is much stronger than positive. We aren't wired to be positive, happy, optimistic individuals. And what we are wired for, we're we're wired for survival. So we are fearful. We do have stress, but it keeps us alive. So what we have to do, we have to find and we have to fight for our positivity. We have to fight for our optimism. And we've got to be able to release the doubt and move through that negative anxiety, that negative fear, and start saying better things to ourselves. You know, we can say, you know, hey, you need to be your own best friend, your own best coach. But think about it. When you're caddying for one of your best friends and they hit a bad shot, what do we usually say to them? Hey, don't worry. Let it go, pal. You know, we'll get the next one. You know, you're, you're strong enough. You can handicap this field a couple of shots. Let's go. Let's get the next one. And they go, yeah, yeah, you're right. And I'm always saying to myself, do you talk to yourself like that? Very rarely does, you know, people talk to themselves like that. And that's why you have to be your own best coach, your own best friend, your own best sports psychologist out there. But you have to learn how to give yourself a pat on the back and a kick in the pants rather than just, you know, being self critical. The key to this game is self analysis and optimism. Not, you know, self-criticism and always downplaying and telling yourself how bad you are. Because I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, when we talk about negative words, negative feelings, they stick. I mean, that's why we used to say in the old days, coaching, it takes about seven or eight out of boy, out of girls to make up, you know, for one, you're stupid, you're pathetic, get out of the game. So, you know, a negative thought never ever leads to positive or purposeful performance. And you don't have the option or the luxury of thinking negative. So the sooner you understand that, you have to say to yourself, when am I going to learn the lesson? I have to learn to be more optimistic. I have to learn to take myself you know, less seriously, which leads me to the old saying is that the reason why angels fly high is because they take themselves lightly and i always think that's something good for everybody to remember.
4: That is fantastic. You wrote a book titled Mistake-Free Golf: First Aid for Your Golfing Brain. And in it you talk about the most common mistakes players make at all skill levels. Our good friend and PGA Master Professional John Hughes has endorsed the book. Talk about what we'll learn when we go out and order our copy on
0: Amazon. Well, thank you for that wonderful, you know, plug there. You know, Mistake-Free Golf to me is the book uh, that starts a- and really takes you into a whole new world where everything else uh, leaves off. What I've done, I've gone and interviewed some of the world's best players in the world and some of the world's most emotionally challenged players in the world and asked them you know, what you know, their biggest mistakes were. And so what I've done, you know, this is sort of the front nine, you know, mistake-free golf. It's my front nine book. I'm going to have you know, another you know, nine coming out here in a few years. But the point of it was, you know, you have to take a look. What what are some of the greatest mistakes, you know, that golfers make? And, you know, mistake number two is, is one right now I can give the listeners is that how many times have you stepped into a shot and you knew, you just knew internally, you felt uncomfortable, you knew you weren't ready, but you went ahead and you hit it anyway. And then when you hit it, you step back. You go. I knew I was going to miss it. I knew I was going to hit it in the water. Guys, why didn't I just back off? That right there is probably one of the worst mistakes that all golfers make. I remember talking you know, to Greg Norman about that. Bob Charles, I, you know, the the list. Charles Howe, the third. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But that mistake, even at you know the top, you know that they think, well, maybe I can get away with it this one time, right? And sometimes we do. But remember, the anyway shot, I'll go ahead and hit it anyway, usually ends up going anywhere. So one of the most important things you can do is that when you step into a shot and you're unsure, I just need you to back off, which leads, you know, a lot of people going, oh, man, here's another one of these mental game guys, you know, slowing the game down. But I've always said, hold on, I'd rather take five to 10 seconds to get myself set to step in and hit a really purposeful shot, a shot with great intent and with great efficiency and great effectiveness, you know, rather than actually hit a shot just because I'm trying to keep out in front of everybody. Then I've got to look three, four, five minutes for a lost ball, go back to the tee and hit another one and add you know a whole bunch of penalty strokes to my game. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. But in Mistake-Free Golf, this book, You know, is probably the only book that says, "Okay, here are the nine most common mental mistakes that you make." And immediately upon reading this book, you can actually say, "I'm going to cut off a lot of strokes off of my game." And John Hughes has been a great, great friend of mine for years. And he told me, he says, "Hey, this may be one of the best books. It's not the best book on the mental game that he's ever read." And and, uh, he's he's a great friend, and and I love it. You know, when my great friends, who are some of my toughest critics, by the way give me you know a nice endorsement like that you know that means you know quite a bit
4: dr bob how can our listeners come and see you get a copy of your book and then also follow you online and on social media
0: Chris you know thank you for asking you know I'm pretty easy to find uh you can go to theconfidencedoctor.com that's my website I'm known uh around the globe as the confidence doctor but it's theconfidencedoctor.com Or you can actually reach me at my email at drbob, drbob, at drbobwinters.com. That's drbob at drbobwinters.com. Or you can actually go into davidledbetter.com and you can, you know, find me there. And if you Google my name, I show up. I've been around a long time, written a lot of things. And, uh. And I'm very, very impressed, Chris, that you found out about Dr. Herbert Price and all that. So I can honestly say, you know, you are worthy of every award that you've uh, received over these past several years. And uh, I know you've done your due diligence and I appreciate so much being on your wonderful show.
4: Well, Dr. Bob, I can't thank you enough for that and for, for your time tonight. You're fantastic. And I feel like we've only just begun to learn all of the great things that uh that you do and that you've been a part of and, and uh, the great teachings and instruction that you have available. I hope we get this privilege
0: again. Well, I'll tell you what, all you have to do, Chris, is just ask. I'm ready to go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that very much.
0: And I'll tell you what, after you know the last segment, I tell you what, I think I got to go out and get myself some barbecue right now. Yes, you do. If <laughs> Tracy's the best. That's great. Hey, thanks uh, so much, Chris.
4: Dr. Bob, it certainly has been a privilege. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Folks, that is the great Dr. Bob Winters. The Theconfidencedoctor.com is the website. Dr. Bob at drbobwinters.com is how you can reach him via email. You can also find links to his stuff on David Ledbetter's site. And folks, I highly encourage you. He's got a lot of fantastic videos that you can go out there and watch to get yourself prepared for your next round of golf. He talked about the word purposeful. Purposeful playing, purposeful practice. He's got some videos that you're going to want to watch in advance of your next round or your next practice session. I know we have just scratched the surface of all the great things that we can learn from him. Again, his book is titled Mistake-Free Golf, First Aid for Your Golfing Brain. Go out there and get that book. That's going to get you started on the path for great mental approaches when we're out there playing the game and and not allowing one bad shot or some bad things that may have happened during the course of your round to, to completely derail what you're doing out there. The other thing I recommend, and I know I'm going to do it, is go back and re-listen to this segment, because there's so much great information and content that he shared with us that's going to help us play better. Going back and really taking some time to digest the things that he shared with us is really going to make a difference in the round of golf that you play next time around. You know we like to keep it positive here on the show, and this is a guy that epitomizes positive outlook, positive ways of looking at things, and I cannot wait to get him back on the show again. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf, game-changing three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Keith Hurshlin, Hal Sutton, Jeff Tracy, and Dr. Bob Winters for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are, of course, our resident director of instruction and my paisan, Tom Patrick, who will be back with us, as will a guy who had one of the sweetest swings in PGA Tour history, Tom Pertzer. The head golf professional out of Pittsburgh Field Club, Chris Sheehan, will be back with us as well. And making his next On the T debut next week is going to be David Moore. David is the curator of collections out at Oakmont. So he's got a lot of great stories and memorabilia to talk about. I can't wait to hear those. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and tune in and join us. You can find this show available as a podcast, just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on TribLive.com and the Pittsburgh Tribune review site. So go to TribLive.com, click on Sports and then Podcasts. And you're going to find the show next on the TV available for you front and center right there. You can also find us out on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audioboom, and Player.fm. And as always, my thanks to the folks over at Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts and staff picks. Please download their free app and stream your favorite podcast on your favorite device. But as always, most of all, my thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends.